Welcome, everybody, to episode 50 already of the podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Joey Basu, who used to be a colleague of mine at my first job at Cummins, and he's had quite the background, which he'll go into on the podcast. We dive into the markets, COVID, and how it's changing the way we all work, and I think he uncovered some really interesting components to how he thinks working in an office and just our daily work lives will change going forward, probably forever. Uh, He also dives into how different types of work experiences, especially for him, he actually had a little bit of a stint in stand-up comedy, uh, how those types of experiences have evolved and changed his views on things such as corporate finance. Uh, it was a very interesting podcast. He's one of my favorite people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. He's a great, great guy, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Next up, Joey Basu. to like the new house just in time just like throw all of his toys in the basement and just tell him like okay dude just run go ahead just go after it wow how how old is he so 13 months he was born uh august 25th of uh last year so he's just about a year old i can't believe it's been that long i feel like you just had him yeah yeah no it flies it flies dude you know and with pandemic it was kind of a bummer we couldn't have like real birthday party so hopefully oh yeah virus and uh we can uh kind of kind of do something different for like an actual party yeah how about you man how's uh how's chicago treating you chicago's great man um we uh it was funny we went to uh punta cana for a wedding in february ish yeah february end end of february and um it was fun, but then ended up getting really sick the day we left. And we're pretty uh, sure we, we don't know, but we, we had all of the symptoms of COVID oh, like coming home and then super sick. So like I got sick and it was weird. Cause that was like the first week of March. Uh, uh, I've never been that sick in my life. And, um, work had me like stay home. Cause of course at that point it was already kind of, people were kind of freaked out by it. Yeah, and yeah. then the following week they closed the office. So like, I mean, I don't know. I've been home since, I mean, I haven't been in the office since middle of February, so just it feels crazy. But like, everything's good. I mean, RX, it's been fun, man. I mean, I, I joined in 2017, and uh, we just acquired Kellogg, so it was, um, you know, kind of going through that whole thing of like that initial transition of just like some of that change, and, th- and then now we have, you know, when I joined, we I was number like 55, and then now we have wow. over 200. It's just, it's just you know, it's a totally different place now, but it's great. It's just now we're kind of in this different life stage of the company now that we have to like report earnings and, and do all this. Yeah, it's a little bit different. To 200 purchased by like a great big conglomerate. So, right. Right. Yeah, man, so like just a little the- different, but it's been so fun. I mean, honestly, it's crazy. I feel like I've learned, I mean, you always feel this way when you like switch companies, but sure. I feel like I've learned so much from working here just because it was like when I when I came, it was like nothing was built. We were just were building everything from scratch, type of stuff. Sure. Um, so it's just been fun. It's been fun, and then we uh, we bought a house uh, almost two years ago now. So we we live in we have a house here. Um, we're, we're at like uh, Oakbrook or like yeah, the actually really 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 close to that. We're in Elmhurst, which is like okay. I mean, Oakbrook's like the mall we go to. It's like ten minutes from here, so we're just north of Oakbrook. Mm. Trying to think. I got some in-laws that uh, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, uh, his in-laws, they live uh, in. Um, uh, it's escaping my mind. Like some suburb that starts with W. Um, um, it could be like Wilmette or Winneka or. Um, I'm trying to think what else. But, is w. Anyway, it's escaping yeah, me. Yeah, no, that's like, cool. Yeah, the burbs, the burbs out there, are really nice. It's like super expensive. It's so expensive. But so, uh, I remember when we came here. Like my wife's from here, and sure, you know, we started looking at houses when we moved up here, and I was like, "How much are these houses? Like in Indiana, this would be 
I mean, we, I would never buy a house this expensive in Indiana and we have a ranch. It's just, and then on top of it, property taxes are just insane. I mean, there's just so much. I mean, I don't, we don't live in the, it's not as bad where we are, but like my in-laws live, um, closer to the city in a nice area and they spend like $25,000 a year on property taxes. Yeah. Which is great. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just totally different thing. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's been fun living here though. It's so different. Like it's a lot going on, a ton to do. I've enjoyed, um, especially working in the city and like public transportation to the city. Just like, I don't know, you're just involved with so many different types of people. You know what I mean? Like, and when I, nothing wrong with Indiana, but like, I would be in my car, I'd drive to work, I'd get out, walk into the office. And then now you, like, you have to interact with everybody, like whether it's the train or like walking downtown. It just, I enjoy that. I like meeting people and, you know, oh, uh, and yeah, that's like, why I'm doing this probably, but. Sure. No, I mean, I'll be honest, like the time that I spent in New York, I lived in New York about a year and also the time that I spent in Chicago in probably the winter time. My opinion is Chicago is like the greatest city in America for about eight months of the year. And then four months, one is Sucks. extremely hot and balmy, <laughs> and the other three, it's frigid. Right. And everyone is like coughing on the red. The red line is particularly disgusting. Yeah. Like yeah, some yeah, of yeah. the other lines, like the brown line, not too bad. Like kind of the green line app, like Fulton Market and that, like sure. that's not too bad. But like the red line, man, I need like special shoes when I'm, because my little sister and her husband kind of down in the South Loop. Okay. And, and um, my wife's little brother and his wife, they're up in Wrigleyville. So okay. I just have like, the Metro card. I just take the red line or and at least cruise. we did before the baby. Yeah, um, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's a little different now. Yeah. Maybe you don't want to bring the baby on there. No, no, no. And now, I mean, like, who even knows what the world sure. will look like? I mean, and speaking of like big cities, I mean, one of the things that we've heard repeatedly at least in the context of like folks that we talk to in new york is like these 55 60 story buildings that you know what will it even look like to get people in and out of these buildings like you could a 60 story building could be like six or seven hours just to get people from the ground floor to their office safely and back so i hadn't even thought about that like i work in a building that's just us yeah it's just like we're just nine it's nine floors of rx and but i never thought about that like these yeah. huge buildings like take temperatures and all this stuff like that would be how would it work it's uh commercial real estate is kind of a little bit scared right now is at least what i've heard that you know just as companies look at the reality of how do we even navigate this and especially things like zoom yeah things like webex when companies start learning like hey our people can do their job pretty darn well with webex and a wi-fi connection and a cell phone yeah i mean does that sort of i mean and definitely there was like this paradigm shift happening anyway right definitely and like an un, like a uncomfortable in some companies like some companies it was kind of weird yeah. and some it was better yeah yeah you kind of see it like you know both sides like some companies trying to pull people back into the office more and other companies you know, are already kind of out on this side of the paradigm, but, you know, it it was kind of trending in that direction. And now it seems COVID has just like exacerbated. So yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Just look look at what work looks like for at least the next couple of years until like they make some progress with a vaccine, with a therapeutic, something else. So definitely. yeah, As it's a been scientist. I'm just like waiting, like same. everyone else, to like see, hey, how does this all resolve itself? A hundred percent. I mean, it's it's funny how this is the one thing I think it's been really interesting too. Is like not just offices. Like I feel like we'll probably all be the last people to like go back to normal, unfortunately. Sure. But like we're we're in this like what are we in phase two? I think in Chicago. So it's like yeah. like right now it's basically just like if you have outdoor seating, you can have you know limited people eating there. Like most gyms are not open yet unless it's for one on one training. Yeah. Um, but then like we, I met my parents for lunch on Sunday at like Fair Oaks, like kind of halfway. Yeah, and I mean it's wide open. Like, I feel like a lot, I feel like Indiana, you guys have kind of like opened up a lot faster than we have. But what's funny is it's like, yeah. I hadn't thought about the fact, like I can just drive, I'm driving from an area that is super tight still. 
Sure. Do an area that's wide open than going back. And it's just, yeah. that's going to be weird too, as like certain states open up faster than others. Like what that I mean, kind of does, you know what I mean? I mean, it's got to, and once again, as a non-scientist, like I have to think in my simple estimation that population density is some kind of function of the passage of a very contagious virus. So, I mean, in that respect, I guess Indiana has been kind of lucky that we have, you know, lakes and parks and trails and wide open spaces and acreage, and you can kind of get outdoors without having to run into anyone in a lot of parts of the state. And at least what I've heard and read is that, you know, the passage of the virus is a little bit less intense in outdoor situations. I think something on CNBC might have said, like, you know, 19 times less likely to pass outdoors rather than like in a confined setting so okay you know yeah yeah, i i definitely don't envy the situation of the folks in the city they're just like piled up on top of each other so right and then i know a lot of people i know are like you know they decide like i have some friends who are like right on the cusp of maybe you know moving to the suburbs and they decided like you know right before this extend everything and stay there longer and they're like shit it kind of sucks because now we're paying all this money to be in the city but we can't do anything yeah we're like stuck in here and we can't go do all the stuff we normally do you know and you know honestly besides the baby like the work at home situation was another motivator for the purchase of the bigger house for okay yeah because like me and my wife will be like predominantly work at home sorry about that you're good predominantly work at home for Oh, my family's not blowing up this uh, text message screen. If you hear something, <laughs> like, uh, don't worry about that. But uh, let's see here. Get my Zoom back. No, it's uh, it's it's all gonna be interesting. But like, you know, my wife had no home office in our current house, so so that she has like a dedicated space to work. I have a dedicated space to work. The baby has somewhere to run around. I mean, even as we go back to the office it seems like, you know, we're not going to be going back like five days a week, anytime in the foreseeable future, like maybe a couple days a week here and there. Um, And uh, um, just to, just to clarify, my wife is over at Eli Lilly and I'm at Anthem, as you know. So uh, two of the big, two of the big firms uh, in Indiana, I don't really know what Cummins is doing. I haven't talked to anyone over there. And it'll be interesting to see if this changes because I remember one of the big problems with the retention in Cummins was like folks didn't want to be cooped up in, uh, you know, Columbus, Indiana, which, yeah. you know, I can't fault them just because, I mean, I kind of came to business and business school in a little bit non-traditional path a little later in life. Yeah. But, you know, for folks that I would talk to that are in their early 20s, probably the number one problem that we had retaining interns was Oh, I don't really, I've been in small town, Indiana my whole life. I don't really want to go back to small town and spend the next 10 years. And, you know, I can, I can never fault like a young person for saying that. Like right. when I was 21, I didn't even have like a job lined up. We just like packed up the Honda Civic, me and my buddies. And it was like, okay, I don't know what the plan is, but we're going to Venice beach and we're going <laughs> to figure this shit out. Can yeah. I yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Let it rip. All let right. it rip. Um, so you're the second so, person in a row that's asked that. I should maybe I should preface my guess that you're good. You're good to go. That's, no, that's cool. Funny. But uh, so you know, it's um, I can't fault anyone for that. But I do kind of wonder if, in a positive sense, if there is more work from home, will that be a positive thing for companies that might be based in like a smaller town like that? Right. That if the you know uh, talent pool is able to live in Indianapolis or Chicago or something like that, or even like Louisville or Nashville. Yeah. Does that open things up? So, but that's a really good um, question. I mean, yeah, because it definitely, we at Kellogg, we, I hear that, I mean, we, I don't interact with them that often, but we've been talking recently about just that in general. And it's funny because, sure. like, I think, yeah, to your point, like a Cummins or a Kellogg, that same thing, like a lot of people don't want to move to Battle Creek, Michigan. Sure. Uh, it, it, this could be a good opportunity for a lot of these major corporations that have had yeah. hard times retaining people. So it's, it's an interesting yeah. point. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out, man. For but, sure. Uh, 
Yeah. What, uh, well, what, uh, what else do you, so yeah, I was gonna say, so we just jumped in, which is great. I love, I love that we just jumped in and started talking, but, um, so thanks for coming on. I really, bullshit. I can bullshit. No, hundred percent. This is, well, I thought, I thought you'd be fun to have on number one to catch up, but then number two, you and I were always Absolutely, able to chit chat. Um, so yeah, I, it was funny. I, I always try to go through, like when I have people on here, I go through LinkedIn a little bit and just, you know, just to refresh and everything. And it's funny. So to give everyone that's listening a background, me and Joey did, we're never like on the same team or interacted that closely at Cummins, which was the first company I worked at, but we always had interactions between, we both went to Purdue and we had lots of like interactions while we both worked there in different teams. And, but I didn't realize your, your background in film and this whole thing you did before going back and getting a finance degree so could you give maybe like a little spiel yeah. on like your background because I think it's super interesting it does it does and you know I talked to my wife a lot about this that you know it's always like the things that you don't expect on your background or resume that always pop up in interviews so <laughs> um yeah I kind of I kind of came to business school from like a pretty non-traditional background when I was 2021, 20, um, I got a lib arts degree from Purdue and me and some friends, we moved to LA. It was about the time of the research or of, you know, um, the explosion in reality television. Uh, oh. The Writers Guild was on strike. I think the Producers Guild was on strike. Um, a lot of the content makers, you know, in Hollywood want were trying to renegotiate deals and all of the studios realize and these small production companies realize, hey, we take like a cheap camera and find some people that'll act wild on camera for free. We will get lots of people to watch it and get a lot of advertising dollars at hardly any cost to us. And so, yeah, like the writers and the actors kind of got screwed. And then you had like Survivor and other... Oh. Like the just explosion of various and also there was you know like a hundred cable channels for the first time ever it was maybe like oh two oh three i'm talking about okay so uh that was kind of my first uh actually my first job in la was as the universal studios tour guide so no way it's on the tram and like over here is the village from murder she wrote and oh no it's jaws that you would have you have the the best voice for that though (laughs) (laughs) thank you man no it was a lot of it was a lot of fun it wasn't like a lot of hours or a lot of pay but it got you like well connected with like other people that were trying to do the same thing as you are right Um, and actually that led to i worked for a couple production companies in like reality tv i think like the best show that i got to work on was like modern marvels where they go into like history of bubblegum or history of uh the golden gate bridge or whatever yeah um so that was that was like a really good crew and a like really good uh really good production company so when you Um, when you start working for them like what 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 did you do like what was your actual job oh shoot you know like it's production assistant you know the guy that kind of go gets coffee and like Actually, it's funny. This is another point on like digital transformation. Like nowadays, I mean, look at this. We're doing like a Zoom call. Right. Uh, if if you want to upload a video, you click a button. It goes up to the cloud. I mean, then you were running like, you know, these Betamax t- tapes in your car from like Warner Brothers to a sound editing studio to somebody Whoa. else. So like you drive tapes all around LA, which uh, also kind of helps whenever i visit la right now it's like i still remember where all the streets are and can usually navigate that pretty well with a compass that's but, awesome uh, yeah it's not bad it's not bad i tried to me and a couple friends tried to get our own production company off the ground with like i saw that limited success and actually this is something that uh i used to kind of shy away from it more but uh when i was in the mba program more recently uh just actually just finished uh the kelly mba like a week before or a few days before the baby was born was my final final exam congratulations that's awesome thank you thank you brother good time Uh, good timing too oh my god i would not want to try both at the same time that would be some kind of hell (laughs) um but one of the cool experiences we had in the mba program was this gentleman chris baggett who's the founder of cluster truck and some other ventures in indianapolis 
came to speak to us and he said, you know, if you do, if you do have entrepreneurial ventures, if you do try to strike out on your own, most of them don't work and don't ever shy away from it because there's no employer is going to like ding you because you tried to start your own business. So oh, you know, yeah, love that. for whatever, like two cents, my two cents for the audience of Simply Finance, pass along from a Chris Baggett of Cluster Truck, you know, don't ever shy away from your entrepreneurial uh, adventures. Awesome. Uh, love that. Somebody Appreciate will want to hear about it. Yeah. Um, and we had one successful project that almost, it was like a finalist in uh, a contest hosted by FX Networks, the producers of It's Always Sunny. And I think we were like kind of in the top 10 and just didn't get picked up. Uh, but so that was, it was good. It was a good experience though. And then from there, I took like kind of a different turn where I split my time between like bartending during the days and then um, doing stand up at night. And I did oh, that you did stand up? Yeah, well, for about three years. I did yeah, not I was, know uh, that. I was a doorman at the Hollywood Improv. Nice. And uh, there were a couple shows at the Comedy Store on Sunset Strip that I do on a pretty regular basis. Um, Eliza Schlesinger, who's like blown yeah. up on Netflix, like she used to be the host of this Tuesday night show that I would do at the Comedy Store in the belly room. And I'm trying to think if there's... Wait, that is hilarious because I am so yeah. into comedy now and... That's why. So you were there back when, like, what years were you doing comedy? So, like, I want to say 05 to 08. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Was a lot of the big names around then? Like, I know it's, like, blown up now and the comedy store is kind of crazy, but. I mean, it was, it was, they have kind of, like, a regular crew of, like, house comedians and then you know, other folks like me, they were trying to kind of break in, but uh, yeah, no, nah, it's the Mecca. Comedy yeah. Store on Sunset Strip is like, you don't know who you're going to run into. You just show up on a Monday and like Chris Rock might just right. run to try to do a set, you know, like it's people have been, you know, since like Letterman, Robin Williams, like the OGs. Oh, yeah. I like, have been doing it like for decades out of that spot. So it's, right. uh, it's one of the, it's one of the, actually, that was when I married my wife, we did the wedding in LA because, you know, so many of my friends would be not able to afford to like fly to Indiana. So that was my bachelor party is me and the groomsmen like went to the comedy store and I was wearing a shirt that said groom. <laughs> and that was like the bachelor party. Oh, and that's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's... No, I'm trying to think. I know Neil Brennan was doing a set. I think uh, Judd Apatow was doing a set. And oh, wow. That's a good My names. buddy Matt went up to them and he's like, oh my gosh, I love you guys. You do such great work. And, you know, they congratulated me on the wedding. It was, uh, it was really cool, man. Like, that's awesome. It's a, it's a really, you know, and actually, you know, in the spirit of, uh, in the spirit of simply finance like that is the stand-up thing is definitely something comes up in almost every job interview and you know it, it can kind of go either way it's like either it could make people take you not seriously or you know it brings up the conversation of like how can you apply this to what you're doing now and there is like a lot of like presentation sometimes presentation to a hostile crowd Definitely. The ability to kind of think on your feet, the ability to like have the second and third and fourth idea that you want to spit out trailing in your head as you're speaking the first. So I think there's a lot that that has lent to and, you know, just being able to relate to people. I think there's a lot that that was able to, you know, lend to the rest of my life, really. Yeah, um, I bet. And it that, seems like such a thing that would be like you could, okay. Yeah. Even if you didn't end up doing comedy forever, it seems like, yeah, those skills that you just mentioned, I just feel like you could, you could apply that to business in so many ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it probably just rounds you and teaches you something else. That's not just strictly business. Oh yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, and oddly I could kind of say the same about bartending is like, it teaches you how to like, 
triage. It teaches you how to like prioritize in a fast paced environment. It teaches you how to like handle conflicts. Do I have to like cut this person off or like have a gentle conversation of how to get them out of the bar, you know? Um, And, and it's a very, when you're the bartender, it's like very democratic as well. So, um, you know, there's, uh, you learn a lot from that too. Um, So after that was the financial crisis, which like wiped out LA because yeah, I was gonna say, if you were like a comedian, was that a bad time to be a comedian back then? No, it was just a bad time to be in Southern California, just because as much as they talk about Southern California as an entertainment capital, I mean, it was hugely dependent on real estate. Oh, okay. And you saw everybody get wiped out. You know, like, I don't know if prosperity is a trickle-down effect, but like you know, definitely misery and like financial ruin, like will go down at like flood downhill fast. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, where like when the real estate went and like all of like the other food and beverage and anything else that like general functioning, uh, like everyone kind of took a hit. So like, that's kind of a period in my life where I try to reassess like, well, you know, kind of how's this going how happy are the people that are actually making it? They kind of seem miserable. Um, oh, isn't it? You know, how, did, how did you go about that? Like, were you, were you talking to a lot of them or meeting them or how did you? Oh, oh yeah. Because, like, I mean, you know, you, uh, you work the same rooms, you work the same shows, you talk to a lot of them. And, you know, even, even when the people that you think are being successful are still seem kind of miserable, that kind of makes you say like, well, is this something that I really want to like, you know, got out for another 10 years. And, right. you know, I, at that point I spent a year in New York. Uh, yeah. I, I saw was, you were a legal intern. I was like, yeah. wait, how did he go from movies to legal intern? And then I know you went back to school, but I didn't even <laughs> right. know his stand up. I'm like, you've done so much stuff. It's, it's been an adventure, man. Like, Love it's, it. uh, you know, and at the end of the day now I'm dead. So it's, uh, <laughs> it, it all came back to that. But um, yeah, so I spent about a year uh, in Long Island, um, did about a year of law school, wasn't really for me. I mean, kind of my assessment was, man, I'm just not somebody cut out to like sit in a basement for 15 hours a day uh, going through like dead men's texts. Yeah. Um, well, that's a wild, just that alone is a wild transition to go from stand up comedy yeah. on sunset to then law school in New York. Yeah, it is. I, you know, and a lot of it was like, man, the weather is terrible. Everyone is mean. Everything smells like urine. There's garbage bags everywhere. <laughs> what did I do? I had sunshine, palm trees, beautiful beaches, beautiful women, like everything. And here I am in New York and yeah. I'm not really enjoying this very much, uh, which kind of found me back at uh, working for the judge was awesome. I will say that, but you know, um, all in all wasn't for me. And I found myself like back at Purdue and kind of the rest is rest is history from there. Like got hu- uh, hooked up with you guys and this cohort from Purdue that yeah. you know, we're all over the place, you know, right. Sp- uh, Spencer and James are in Seattle, like, uh, or I don't think Spencer's with Amazon anymore, but they were at Amazon uh, HQ for a while. I know Shube is in like San Francisco working for like Gap Corporation. So, you know, we got, yeah. we got people all over the place. Yeah. Still got I- people at, still got people at Cummins. So, right. Yeah, when I was uh, at Walmart.com, we were based out of San Francisco. And the last trip I took while I worked there, I actually got to go see Shub. We actually met up for dinner. That's it was awesome. good to see him. I haven't seen him. He was working on that app. I don't know if he's still doing it or not, but he had like an app that was cool. It was like a, a it was like basically like share clothes with people. It's sure. Kind of a cool concept. But um, that's awesome. So yeah, you've done so much stuff. I guess I thought one of the cool things we could kind of spend some time talking about today is I, I it kind of it came to me that you've done so many things and a lot of the people that listen to this are either a getting into investing or want to learn more about investing or B I think people just have a general 
just want to learn more about finance, whether that's investing or personal finance. Sure. So like, I'd be curious to know, like you did, you did so many things. How did you end up wanting to go into finance or what made you pick finance? You know, uh, it was really not until, I mean, my first year back at Purdue, I was just trying to get my feet under me. Second year at Purdue, like that's when I took that intro to corporate finance with uh, Professor Amanda Thompson. Yep. Okay. Uh, Spencer and James were in my class, so uh, that's that's how I met them, and that's really you know my first exposure to that work. And like, hey, this is actually something that I would probably enjoy. Right. Um. So that was really, and, and, you know, the more I learned about it, the more, and, you know, as far as uh, trading in equities and options trading and that kind of thing, I mean, uh, that's just the sort of thing that you're, you're not going to learn unless you just get out there and have a little money and lose a little money and learn what to do and learn what not to do. And, you know, don't ever bet more than, you know, you have to lose really interesting phenomena that is pertinent to like right now that I see all over CNBC is they talk about like the day port noise and the day, day trading global and yeah. like this huge upswell of like Robin Hood traders that are now looking for something to do since like sports and sports betting is over. Right. You know, um, for temporarily at least, uh, and uh, whether they are like distorting the markets and like the fact of the matter is, uh, and credible sources have said that really like the day, day traders and like the Robin Hood traders only account for, you know, a very small percentage of the market, like maybe like only 1% or so. So they get a lot, it gets a lot more coverage than I think is really warranted. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think it's great. I think everyone should like learn a little bit about it, make smart decisions. I mean, probably the smartest thing to do historically is like the Jack Bogle, Warren Buffett thing that they said like, hey, you know, avoid debt. Don't, I mean, to be like a stock picker is like, you know, a 40, 50 hour a week kind of commitment. So if you got like an actual job, like just don't worry about that because four out of five hedge funds are going to lose to the index. So just, you know, avoid debt. And if you can put away a little money every month to like an index fund, equity fund, something that tracks like the S&P you know, set it and forget it and, you know, go live your life, man. Cause right. you know, that's, and that's usually like the smart thing to do. And even that's like an aggressive stance, you know, to sure. just go with like a, you know, hundred percent to equity. So, I mean, one of the interesting th- things that happened in March when the market took like a big hit was that the bond funds were kind of the beneficiaries just cause, you know, fixed income was being propped up by the federal reserve um, I mean, they were talking about buying ETFs, buying junk, buying like corporate bonds out of the secondary market. Like there's a lot of like unlimited support from the Fed right now. So one of the things that happened was like you saw like a little rotating that like the bond funds went up and folks could use some of the money cashing out like the increase in the bond funds to like reallocate those gains back to like whatever they had invested with equities. So um it's uh, yeah there's like the last few months has been like super interesting even from even from like an academic standpoint of like wow like this is very different than the last economic crisis that we have like as you've seen like the market is almost like pulled back all the way kind of you know like they sit in rounders like after the 10 grand to the professor i'm right back where I started with like, you know, three stacks of high society. Right. (laughs) Um, So it's, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting time. One of the things that happened. And so one of the things that I've been in this job about a year, I work for their corporate treasury. I kind of support the capital management, which has a focus on our, our uh, debt issuances. 
Okay. So basically the debt that our company has outstanding, um, that's my primary focus and like interest rates are my primary focus and our interest expense forecast, liquidity, are we going to have like cash on hand, oh, wow. et cetera. Um, so one of the really interesting things that happened this time was that there were, there were major disruptions in the commercial paper market, which is like a very boring market as far as like basically for viewers that might be less familiar commercial part uh paper market is like short-term funding maybe few days few weeks whatever uh but this is what companies generally use to like pay their bills etc etc um when there are disruptions in the commercial paper market there starts to be conversations of like how much cash does our company burn every day and right, how long right. can we go based on like the cash we just have on hand? Um, so it's not a good thing. That, that um, was like a, that was like a big thing with the airlines that I, I looked yeah. into, right? So okay, so it was happening in your in your industry too. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it it was like across the board disruptions in the commercial paper market. I think some of it was driven by the drop in oil and gas because these oil and gas companies are like so highly levered and having trouble that it was like pushing up like yields for equivalent, uh, you know, as far as the investors that invest in commercial paper were looking for those kind of yields from like everybody, which was kind of screwing up commercial paper for everyone. Okay. Um, so one of the interesting things that happened was that, you know, all of these companies have like their corporate revolvers and like all of the company, almost all of the companies were like drawing on their, uh, revolving credit facilities and right. they were able to do that because of things like Dodd-Frank because of these capital requirements that everyone complained about for like a decade following the financial crisis well in the one percent of time that we actually needed them like the really 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 well capitalized and they can handle like all these companies like drawing on their revolvers at the same time and I think that is like a major reason why like the crisis did not get worse than it did. Okay. Um, That's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Yeah, man. So it's, so yeah, not to get like too esoteric, but I think, but you know, to uh, long story short, I think a lot of the things that they did following the past financial crisis to make sure that banks were well capitalized you know, we're kind of a pain in the ass for like a decade for all of us. And then when it, uh, when we needed it, it was there. So, that, okay. So it's I think really it, interesting. Cause I think, yeah. I feel like that, that part of the narrative has been left out and a lot oh, of, yeah. a lot of people, I, and th- this is not for any bad reason or anything. I feel like most of the news that I've been hearing as of late is um, a lot of the small businesses got pinched out a lot of a lot of that money. And so the, a lot of this, unless things turn around quicker, a lot of these small businesses are still going to have, like, they're going to take the blunt of this crisis instead yeah. of the major corporations, you know? And, you know, I, I have to think that's kind of, you know, universally true that, you know, in any industry, you know, the folks that have some scale and scalability are going to have an advantage over the folks that are like the ma and pa operations that could get, like, you know, taken out with one bad one bad month, one bad year, you right. know, like it, yeah. total non sequitur here. Like I'm very interested to see what'll happen with the NCAA because, uh, total non sequitur. No, it's um, fine. Because the, you know, early in the year they, or last year they passed the legislation that the student athletes could get, you know, not paid by the school, but could take an endorsement money. Right. Which very much like throws the NCAA model into question. And then number two, uh, there's no March Madness this year. So when you talk about like, you know, losing a good part of a year's revenue, the better part of a year's revenue, coupled with your whole business model being thrown into question, like then you kind of get into the question of like cash burn, and how much does it take to keep this place going? And, you know, like, is this even like a viable or what comes next? 
Yeah. Well, it's so, funny too, because how do you, it's like that and then coupled on top of all, both of those two things, like, are they even going to be able to have basketball this year? And then like, yeah, no. you know, like how long can, how long can they go on without having fans? I think will be a huge yeah. piece of this, right? Because yeah. I don't know, even as States open up and things seem to get a little bit better here and there. Mm-hmm. I mean, sporting events are going to have to be some of the later things I would think, unless they're going to open up a small, like smaller capacity. I've heard like Purdue's thinking about doing, um, if you're a, a season ticket holder or a student are the only two groups that they're going to let in the football games is what I've heard. But that's like an Indiana decision. And I was going to say like, I don't know how like even football this fall will work because cool. If Indiana's like, this is what you can do at Purdue and IU. But right. then Northwestern is tied to Chicago, and they're like, yeah, no, we can't have games here. Like, I don't know. Would games all end up happening in the states that are okay? Would, there, would some teams not be able to partake because they live in the city that has tighter restrictions? Like, yeah. having, having all the states so different is going to make it really difficult. It's a total mishmash, you know, which actually kind of worries me as far as like abating the abating the virus, because like if some states are taking it seriously and other states are like, oh, no, like screw everything, everything open, like we're not afraid of no virus. Uh, that could be like that could quickly spread to the states where they have been taking it seriously and could spread like wildfire. So like right. I, I just hope like there was some good news. I think on Tuesday about like a potential corticosteroid that got like 30% reduction in like incidents of COVID. Oh, I haven't uh, heard that. Like, uh, I, I think they were tracking this as far as like vaccine as opposed to like a therapeutic. So like, you know, that's optimistic. And, you know, I mean, we we're all just hoping for something to work out and, you know, I know speaking, I can't speak for the pharma companies, but like, it seems like in my observation that like everybody across the board has just like had their foot to the gas pedal and like FDA has like been bending over backwards to try to help everybody, you know, and, and this is, this is what's being like said in the press at least. So, right. um, you know, we just hope, uh, I, I forget. I think it was like some interview with Melinda Gates. She had spoken specifically about like all of the drugs going to trial and the hope that like one of these is the one that's going to get it done. So, right. Yeah. um, It's it's like one of the few things where like the more we all help and try to make things better, you know, it'll just benefit everyone in our entire economy, which is kind of crazy. Right. And, you know, to some degree, it's like, you know, decency, respect and like trying to respect other people's space. And, you know, I was always amazed when people talk about like wearing a mask in public is like some kind of infringement on somebody else uh, on your own, like personal liberty. And, well, you know, kind of in America, your personal liberty is, you know, very important, but you can't screw with other people's health and liberty either yeah you know like i think liberty your liberty is extremely important to the extent that you are not inhibiting somebody else's like life liberty and happiness in the process totally agree especially unnecessarily just to like make a stupid point so right you know just be be a little nicer to each other that's what it all comes down to right we all need to love each other a little more and be nicer and and try to help the common take care of each other you know yeah exactly it's like what we definitely need 100 percent. absolutely man wild well that's awesome i think you know for me in talking to you today i think a couple of things was like how you got into finance. I thought that was, I think it's just re- really interesting story, which you spent a lot of time talking about um, investing. I think that'd be another inter- interesting one. Cause I know you're, you're very knowledgeable on the topic. I'd be curious. Uh, kind of. <laughs> I don't know. This is part where I put in like a disclaimer that like any, any statements by Joey Basu are only his statements, not financial advice. Please speak to your own financial advisor uh do not take anything that i say too seriously without taking into account your own retirement needs and goals and age and uh how many kids you got got to put food on the table for the kids that that yeah. this is your stand up comedy coming out that was a good impromptu keep all, all of that in mind i always like to say i'm no hedge fund manager this is just my perspective yeah you know what yeah I mean? yeah man like i i will say one thing like if you uh, 
there's a lot of like good and bad uh, coverage as far as like the Robin Hood app and a lot of these things that are democratizing finance for kind of the little guy for the mon pa and you know I I think that's a good thing I think as much as like I I mean don't go nuts and it's like anything else that you know try to educate yourself before you get into something but um you know especially you know options trading is something that like I am completely a novice at and just starting to learn about and it's been you know it's been a wonderful tool to like familiarize myself with some of the basics of options trading uh, you know with very low risk um just to see kind of you know uh, what makes sense as far as like you know expiration dates as far as like strikes um you know look at the delta like what is the probability that the bet that you're making will actually pan out. Right. Um, Are you, what platform do you use for options trading? Uh, I uh, just on Robinhood. Yeah. Like have, uh, have a couple of grand set aside there just to, just to kind of like see if anything pops off. Um, you know, so uh, it's, it's been interesting because like, you know, you and I both worked for a trucking company. So, you know, the valuation right now, of like this Nikola company. Yeah with uh the electric with the ev trucking i mean aesthetically they're beautiful and you know i do think about i do think about cummins and like their kind of sort of beef with the tesla um electric semi and you know kind of how nicola kind of plays into that landscape and it sounds like they haven't like sold a truck yet so it's all the, uh, the the valuation is all theoretical. Yeah. Um, so I had, a, I had a guy on the other day that had a really funny story about that. I actually invested in Nikola the day, the day after it IPO'd just because oh, I, I could throw, throw a little in there and it popped. Yeah. But it was funny because we were talking about the, they had, they talked about Nikola's was sitting at the day after it IPO'd, it was sitting at 29 billion market cap and it's never yeah. made a truck. And, and Ford right, Chrysler or Fiat Chrysler is like, they had, they had the CEO that, yeah. of Ford come on and it, he's worth less. And then he yeah. it was just funny. It was just so ironic to like, that's kind of what's been going on lately with the markets. It's so <laughs> yeah. out of control that it's like, how is a company that's never made a truck worth more than Ford? Yeah, it's we, we you know, make it's sell F-150s. What, right. what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, we, yeah, we so sell lots of stuff. This is, yeah, I mean like, and sometimes things like that, I feel like, can kind of serve as a tell as far as speculation and frothiness and you know kind of where are people just kind of trying to make a quick buck as opposed right. to investing sure um well that's where it always seems like there's such a difference in you know people that ask me questions on here i always try to say like you know i have friends and family who are big into like the day trading stuff i personally i've tried it a few times I just don't have the time to your point. It's like a 40 or 50 hour thing. If you really want to work, if you, if you have that much time, then you can probably learn to maybe navigate some of it. For right. me, I'm just, I have like, I, I have a, a thing I share on here as a link and it's, you know, I have like 50 companies now that I'm like, I would say bullish on over the long term. And when I say long term, I'm thinking like five, 10 years that I think they're for sure going to show lots of growth or growth with dividends. And I just, I use Robinhood and I unlocked, um, I don't know if you've seen this, their partial shares component they have on Robinhood now. So I just like, I mean, it's like every, you know, every paycheck, I just take a a, a set amount, put it into Robinhood and I'm just always pumping a little bit more every, you know, two weeks. That's kind of my strategy now, especially out of this is like, just keep pumping it in, keep keeping an eye on things and uh, structure it that way. And a lot of people that are new, I always say, you know, getting involved with the companies that you're actually interested in. And following the news because the key is going to be either a you want to set things and forget it or two if you want to you know want to invest in shorter term things where you hope to make a buck um you need to be paying attention to the news and kind of tied into it all the time no i mean like i haven't done like a lot of options trading and you know really the ones that i do are generally a short position because like if i think that something's go uh, going up i'll probably just like invest in the company and in some kind of like as you said like a five seven ten year 
exit window, if right. if at all. Like yeah. I might just want to stay in it. Like actually, that was one of the best things I ever did. I took my graduation money uh, when I graduated from Craner with you, like back in 2013, uh, and I took that graduation money and I put it into Tesla shares, which were like 50 bucks. Damn. Sure time. Nice. And that was like one of the best things, one of the best things I ever did. Like probably the best investments that I've had. I mean, I, I think it's just kind of a bell curve. You have some that are home runs, you have some that are complete flops, and then most of them are in the 80% bell in the middle, like uh, any regular ass dude. Yeah. Um, but I think the ones that I've like done the best tend to focus on, yeah digitization things like and especially the ones that i get the most interested in are things that uh, fintech and things that make commerce easier digitally so square docusign uh those sort of investments have definitely done the best okay um yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, just, so that was to say that was gonna be my next question so for you is, is like the main area you're focused on today and going forward through, a, you know, coming out of COVID, is it really like sure. FinTech and a lot of the technology sector? Is that kind of like where you're, you're really bullish on? I, I mean, it seems. Oh, you there? Might have lost you there, Joey. This is Zoom. Uh-oh. We've lost Joey. Oh, there we go. We back. Oh, I was like, we, we totally lost it. We're good. There we go. Okay, okay, we're back. So I was just gonna say, I have no particular expertise in the coverage of that area. Like, in fact, I probably would be more familiar with like the automotive sector, like due to, due to our time at coming. Definitely. A little bit more educated on like healthcare or that uh, sort of area. But, you know, just speaking, speaking as, you know, kind of a mom and pa retail investor, like definitely that's what I would look at, so. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I love that. Is there any, um, any things you're totally avoiding any parts of the market now after seeing everything and the uncertainty with COVID that you would just tell people just in general, from your perspective, or just for you personally that you're, you know, totally avoiding. What would I definitely not? Hmm. That's a, that is a very, that's a very good question. Um, I don't know, man, like I, uh, kind of, the majority, uh, I would say, like the majority of uh, the majority of like you know, like any other family, uh, we we deal in like four hundred one k and whatever uh, stock purchase plans are like through work and that kind of thing. So I, I guess like if there's something I wouldn't invest in, like it probably wouldn't even occur to me to remember it. Just okay. Yeah, that's fair. It would have. I mean, I wouldn't invest in Hertz right now. Hertz has been like popping off. Like uh, we're going to do a 500 million stock issue of a stock that'll be worthless in a week. Like, yeah, I don't, I, just, I, I was going to say, do you, do you know much about that? I don't fully, I haven't spent the time to like research it. I very high level know what's going on. I'm, I've been so confused at how we, yeah. they're, they're letting all this take place. I mean, the bondholders love it because the bondholders will be the first ones paid by any, with any assets that they're trying to liquidate. So like the bondholders right. love it, but like I, uh, and they looked at the stock action it was getting in, uh, the price action it was getting in retail and decided, hey, we're gonna like issue 500 million, 1 billion in shares of, uh, shares of a company that's, that we know is gonna be worthless. So, and then you have like folks like Carl Icahn that obviously know infinitely more than me on any of this, you know, dropping it at like 70 cents a share. Like he, 
must know something that we don't. Yeah, right. So, you think, yeah. So, yes. What would I not invest in? Hertz. Hertz. There right we now. go. Good answer. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the one I'd say, like, I, I, as far as, like, watching the options, like, that might be, like, probably a better than better than not short. Got right? it. Yeah. No, love it. Um, the, I think the, 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 I have like two more questions for you and I know we're, yeah. we've, we've, been recording, we've been recording for an hour already. So I want to be cognizant of your time. Um, yeah, you, you, you've done so many different things in your career, which I think is so interesting and it's definitely made you such a unique finance individual for someone. And a lot of, a lot of the people that listen to this, that sure. I've talked to, uh, you know, a lot of them, like I said at the beginning, are newer and just trying to learn more about investing and trying to understand okay. these topics that seem complex. When did you kind of start learning about finance, like even personal finance and investing? And like, do you have any tips or tricks or tools um, or just like resources that you use to learn a lot of this stuff? You know, um, let me think about that. I mean, obviously, obviously we went to school for it. So right. like, you know, beyond, uh, beyond like a formal education, like any kind of formal degree, uh, as far as options trading, there's a website, I think it's, uh, powered by ally financial called like the options playbook, okay. which kind of takes you through some of like the basic and intermediate kind of, options trading that you can do as far as like um basics on investing um i mean the intelligent investor by ben graham is always a classic i mean i was always a fan of like the the nonfiction chronicling of the most recent financial crisis of like, how the hell did we get here? Oh, is, um, a, is, there, a, is there a specific book on that? I've actually never sure. read it. Yeah. I mean like a couple of them. Um, Andrew Ross Sorkin, he hosts, his, uh, he hosts like Squawk Box on CNBC with like Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. And uh, so Andrew Ross Sorkin wrote, uh, it's 550 pages. It's like the quickest 550 page read that I ever read. Oh, okay. uh, Too big to fail. Um, which is kind of the point of view of like Geithner and Bernanke and Hank Paulson when everything was going down and like uh, Jamie Dimon and like the the heads of the banks and like kind of what it was like to be in the room where it happened. And then on the other side of it is uh, by Michael Lewis, who's probably my favorite finance nonfiction writer, uh, The Big Short, which is like, who are like the misfits and rejects that actually read their prospectus, uh, right. who actually looked at like the Q-sips of like the things underlying these securities and what did these, did they see coming that everyone kind of laughed at. And, you know, so kind of the two of them together kind of gives you a look at like the insiders who can't believe they didn't see it coming and then the outsiders that no one took seriously that hit the nail on the head. So I love it. That's super helpful. If you, if you kind of want like a full historical perspective of something that happened not very long ago, I'd say like, read those two, read those two. Yeah. Awesome. That's perfect. Yeah, man. So much. I think that I always love adding the, the books at the end. I think, I think you can just learn a lot from sharing that with everybody. So awesome. Well, Joey, thank you so much for coming on. It was great catching up and great having you on the podcast. Yeah. Great to see you too. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, happy for you on the new house and the baby. Glad glad life is good. So, um, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shane, you be well, my friend. All right. You too, Joey. It was great catching up. All right. Later, bud. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening, everybody, to today's episode. I just wanted to quickly get on here and remind you of a few things. 
Number one, there are two links in the show notes. The first one is to the COVID rebound stock market tracker. That is a place where I am keeping track of all of the companies that I want to invest in post COVID dip, as well as all of my current thoughts on the market. This is also where you'll find tabs that walk through a lot of the examples of the math behind the concepts that I talk about on the podcast. Secondly, there's a link to Robinhood. Robinhood is the investment platform that I personally use. They are not a sponsor of the podcast yet. And that is a great place for you to start your investing journey if you haven't already. And even if you have, I would suggest taking a look at Robinhood. Uh, It's zero commission fees. There's no fees at all to start or to trade. Uh, and by using the link, you will receive a free stock. And lastly, just want to remind you guys, if you enjoyed the podcast, I can't thank you enough uh, for listening. But what I would really, really, really need and would love your help with is to uh, smash that subscribe button, smash that like button, and please leave a review. It helps a lot for the growth of this podcast and this platform. Thank you so much again, and I hope you guys have a fantastic day.